Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Uh, although, PJ, I suppose a slight clarification, you are currently about um, 81% of PJ? Like, how, <laughs> how, 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 how human are you feeling right this moment? Oh, God. It's... it's... It has been a night, folks. Um, my wife and I had, let's say, some dodgy pizza last night from a usually a place we order from all the time that's usually very good. So, you know, just must have been a bad batch of ingredients, unfortunately. And then our cats decided to start a fight club at ten past three in the morning on our bed. So, <laughs> uh, what was the? Um, do you think you can pinpoint the actual topping, the precise topping that did it? We think it was the spicy and duya sausage. Because ah, it's the only thing we both had. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I hope I hope the listeners can actually appreciate your dedication here, PJ. Because I think we've recorded while we've both thought I one of us have had colds before, but I don't think um, we've ever recorded while in the midst of food poisoning. Well, I, I feel like it's mostly passing now. I'm I'm okay. I've got a. It's the, the tiredness which comes with a headache that's the big problem now. But I've got a oh, big mug of coffee and I'm raring to go. And if I do fall asleep halfway through the podcast, you know, I feel like John will be able to cover seamlessly and no one will know. <laughs> well, we um, Just got to edit somehow, the snoring out. We somehow managed to finish the last episode despite a weird audio glitch where you couldn't hear me anymore. So clearly... We are capable of performing when one of us isn't even on the air. So see, see how professional we are, folks. You don't get this on other comics podcasts. I was going to name some then, but I thought that would be really offensive. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, PJ, um, I mean, we we were all we've already talked about how we're in this weird kind of hinterland now, where we finished the JLA run. Anything's possible. We've been revisiting these kind of. Uh, uh, we're starting our, our our tour of these historic moments in in DC comics history that pertain to Grant Morrison's work on JLA, and then this episode we have a, a deviation from a deviation. We're completely off the beaten track now. Yeah, this is this is a weird one, folks. Um, so we've just we've basically just finished looking at the final night, and we went through it based off the trade paperback I had that I bought in the nineties when I was first buying the JLA trades. I bought it basically between Strength in Numbers and Justice for All between those two coming out when I was just desperate for Justice League material. <laughs> I was like, but anything. there isn't any more. And and obviously Final Night is an event that got referenced a lot back then. So I was aware where I was like, well, I'll see if I can get that. And yeah, I could. 
the trade contained the four issues of Final Night and the Parallax Emerald Night one-shot, and that is it. That should have been the end of the story. I mean, quite literally. Yeah. Um, however, um, I'm reading a a later digital collection, which was clearly put together by, uh, I imagine, a long-suffering intern at DC Editorial for Comixology, and it contained an additional story. What? Well, well indeed, indeed. Um, uh, it's, it, well, given that Emerald... Uh, sorry, use your words, John. Given that Final Night saw, you know, the end of Hal Jordan, at least for a short while, um, my collected edition included uh, the memorial issue of the actual Green Lantern series. Yeah, Green Lantern issue 81, which I had never read before. So you know what? I bought a physical copy off eBay. And I read it last night, and reading it was... It it was a weird experience. One, it's the first time I've bought an actual floppy comic for a few years. But also to be reading a 90s comic that I hadn't... One, that I hadn't read before, and two, that... It's the cover is so nineties. It's all they've sort of made it look like Hal Jordan's headstone, effectively, but with a shiny Green Lantern logo on it, and the cover is textured to feel like stone. <laughs> it it looks like one of the. Uh, I, I don't want to do too too much of a disservice to the design team because it was the nineties. We were all drunk on power, but it looks a bit like one of the default textures in Photoshop version like one or something. Yeah. Yeah, but it 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 feels textured as well. So they it's, it's quite nice actually. It's it's fairly as far as '90s foil covers go. It's actually fairly understated. But I have to say as well because obviously every other issue we've done, I've either read in a trade or um, on Comicsology, one or two of them here and there. But this is the first one where I've read an actual comic, and John, it has adverts in it, adverts that I remember seeing the first time around, like. 25 years ago for things like skittles the taste the rainbow adverts the johnny quest cartoon the space jam playstation one game the first episode of the tv show sliders what, what they oh what they took yes. out print ads for sliders yes with jerry o'connell's face looking at me Jeez, louise i mean I guess that is dating it wonderfully, but but yeah, the actual cover date is December nineteen ninety six, isn't it? Yeah, so we're, yeah, yeah. We're, maybe this was written a few months before or whatever, but cover date we're we're right, 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 just before Grant Morrison's JLA begins. Yeah, yeah. So what, end of ninety six. So I want to say, final night would have been the DC crossover that was going on around the same time as Marvel were doing onslaught. Ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, because obviously from Onslaught you get Heroes Reborn, and did Heroes Reborn start the moment that the Onslaught saga ended, or were they kind of running concurrently? To your it knowledge, definitely didn't start till after the end of Onslaught because Onslaught in- included the final issues of Fantastic Four, Captain America. Thor, Avengers, and Iron Man, and then mm. other than Thor, they got then relaunched with new issue ones as Heroes Reborn after Onslaught. The the thing that's interesting about that PJ, and I I, I don't know this for certain, so I could be completely wrong, but didn't the Kurt Busiek, George Perez, Avengers 
volume three. Didn't that begin in 97? I can't remember if it, if it, Heroes Return was 97 or early 98. Yeah, because uh, obviously Heroes Reborn didn't last very long. It's hard to exactly pinpoint why. Well, it had a year. It had a full year. <laughs> yeah, um, everybody gets a year. You could do anything for a year, and then you've got to rein it in. Just double-checking the dates on Avengers. February 98. Oh, no, it's cover date oh. February 98, release date December 97. Oh, okay, so yeah, I, I foolishly thought that... Um, it almost started concurrently with with the Morrison JLA run, you know, just as a weird kind of cosmic coincidence. But no, I guess there was this weird overlap yeah. where we were experimenting with with trying to get the image people back into the fold. <laughs> yes, well, the it's funny you mention like the weird feeling you get looking at old adverts because I mentioned a few um, issues back about. Um, not one of my prouder moments, but being headfirst in a in a uh, a massive shipping container at <laughs> yeah, my yeah, local yeah. tip, and finding uh, some very very old issues of Justice League Task Force and also the Hawkeye miniseries, and I'm not necessarily sure that nostalgia is the word because it doesn't always come with a warm rush of of emotion, but like. It's conjuring powerful feelings seeing like those old 90s acts because I, I don't know if this was the same for you, PJ, but, you know, obviously finding these American comics was, was quite rare when we were young. Um, they mm. felt quite, quite kind of um, illicit <laughs> and kind of like something really weird and magical when you found them. And uh, so it wasn't just that like you were getting weird tales of a superhero. You were getting like a weird glimpse into American culture. And like, yeah. and without the internet being being really like a, a prevalent force, it really felt like something from another planet had just landed on your doorstep. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was a it wasn't. I, I didn't discover a comic shop until I'd been collecting for a, a little while. I'd only sort of got things randomly. My local news agent would get random American comics in every month, and I'd buy most of those. Usually, it was a mixture of Uncanny X Men and X Men, but occasionally there'd be a random X Factor. A couple of times they got random issues of, of the Batman titles during Cataclysm. So I had like four random issues from the middle of the Cataclysm crossover, you oh, know, wow. things like that. Uh, and then it, it was probably a good year and a half later, I, I found my first comic shop. And then I had to take a train to get there, but near enough that I could start sort of properly collecting a few series. I remember my, my experience was kind of like you'd watch a Saturday morning cartoon Think you gotta think you understood what those characters were because, of course, it wasn't so much the the story and the setting; it was more the the uh, the the vibe of it because it was a Saturday morning cartoon. It was obviously quite sanitized. But then I always remember like these rare moments where you got these '90s comics. There was something kind of unsettling about them in a weird way. I I remember getting um, a random issue of Silver Surfer a 90s issue of Silver Surfer, uh, mm. where he's living with, oh, um, oh, uh, Alicia, Alicia Masters? Yeah. Uh, from Fantastic Four. And this must have been, in hindsight, at the peak of, like, X-Files and, um, you know, the kind of 90s obsession with aliens and grey aliens. And I really vividly remember that Silver Surfer was facing off against an entity called the Other, 
And it kind of manifested as like little grey men, <laughs> like little grey aliens. And there's a scene where like, it's very metaphorical, but like his skin gets like peeled off him. Uh, and then it re- regrows. It's like this kind of weird transcendental experience. And like, um, I just remember reading this as a kid going like, oh my God, this isn't a Saturday morning cartoon. This is this is weird and dark and, and yeah. moody. And there's adverts for basketball everywhere. <laughs> I remember being very confused when I got my, because I knew the X-Men cartoon and then I got my first actual X-Men comic. And the X-Men cartoon I got, because it's, it's sort of a, a pared down version of the 90s team really mm. so i bought my first issue and i'm like wait bishop's actually a full-time member of the team yeah. what what wait why has wolverine got bone claws and why is he just wearing a bandana and his costume's all torn and <laughs> you know all that weird stuff who's this beast from an alternate reality what is the age of apocalypse oh god yeah yeah and, and that's always the dilemma isn't it and like i know i know we um we maybe give um, uh, some of the uh, the companies a bit of a hard time for hitting the reboot button a, a little too often, but um, I understand the problem of going because because if you're trying to like um, get a get a, a kid across from oh they see the cartoon they like that character I can't wait to pick up you know a Spider Man comic and then you pick it up and you're like well why is Spider Man a robot and why is one of his arms a ghost and why are there like four <laughs> Spider Men but one is the memory of a dream of you know an, an enigma from another reality it's like things get weird very quickly in a superhero universe and yeah <laughs> yeah but they were always kind of i always found them fascinating even if i kind of didn't really know what was going on at the time oh that's it that comic hooked me i was like mm. i want to know the answers to these questions and obviously eventually i would find the answers to those questions by doing back issue dives or starting to pick up the marvel uk the essential x-men and the astonishing spider-man and and the reprint titles and yeah yeah it was it was an odd time well i guess also this is kind of around the time of the weird speculator boom yeah in in comics i mean we've we've had the death of um superman you know we obviously had batman kind of uh, we had nightfall uh and of course now upj have picked up a kind of foil cover uh, memorial issue for Hal Jordan. And do you do you think that, that was there an element? Do you think of them trying to make this a collector's item? Oh, yeah, and I think to a degree it succeeded as well because when I was looking for it online, there were a lot of copies going for like 17 to 20 pounds. Mm. Um, those were like, you know, mint condition, where the one I bought is, is not quite mint. It's in really good condition, I think. There's a couple of small scratches on the foil, but other than that, I think it's actually in, in really good nick, but and um, even that was seven pounds. And it's also it's a um, it's a bit of a like a like a bumper issue, isn't it? It's a slightly slightly oversized one. It is because uh, I I don't think it is for you know the main story is twenty two pages, which is pretty standard. But then the actual physical issue that John doesn't have does <laughs> contain then a backup story um, that takes the issue to uh, about ten pages. Oh no. Yeah, about fifteen page story, and and then you've got the letters page as well, which is again a very ninety. I'd never read it before, but it felt familiar reading it. You know? Oh my god! Oh my god! Those letters. Yeah, it was like, kind of a the, com- was- the comic Sorry, itself did not give me any feelings of nostalgia. I've never read it before, but the adverts, the letters page, just the way the comic was put together, I was like, yep, oh, I'm in the nineties and I love it. And I guess also, you 
in an era where there was some internet, but you know it wasn't as certainly not as prevalent as it is now. But the idea that you there always seemed to be a thriving letters page, like mm. I d- and I don't know how much fudging the editorial team did to to make that work, but there always seemed to they were always capable of printing at least three letters from people who seemed engaged with the content, which was kind of incredible, really. Well, this is a two-page letters page in this issue. It's got six letters in it, and some of them are fairly long as well, um, with fairly involved answers. And one thing I do want to mention about this letters page, actually, since we've brought it up, there is following on from an issue... um, I'm guessing there's recently been a a Green Arrow-Green Lantern crossover, which would have been Kyle and Connor having a team-up. And it looks like in that story there is ambiguity about Connor's sexual orientation. Oh, okay. And there is a letter here from a gay fan in, you know, mid-90s. There's a gay fan who's saying, you know, you haven't come out and said what Connor is, but I love it. Thank you for doing it. Um, I'm really hoping this leads to more gay characters in DC Comics. I only picked this up because of Connor, but the way Kyle reacted to Connor means I'm also collecting Green Lantern now and I want to know more about Kyle. Um, and thank you so much. I just, I just hope this is, you know, the start of a good thing. And DC, the editorial reply is, you know, we have a few gay characters, heroes and civilians. We, that we we need, but we need to do more. And we really hope that the new generation gets rid of all the unnecessary hate against gay people and everything because it's ridiculous. 1996. We've not come very far since then. (laughs) If anything, things have gotten worse. Uh, It was. Yeah, I don't know. It's not, It was nice to hear a little moment of optimism there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a nice little time capsule in itself, really, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> but this is... Um, I mean, what? This is issue 81 yes. of the Green Lantern series. So Green Lantern volume three. So, which is what all the... Um, of the various records of this issue state. So assuming assuming DC haven't messed around with their own d- documentation system too much, I'm assuming that means that Volume 1 is the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott. Yes. Way back in the day, Volume 2 is Hal in the Silver Age, leading yeah, up to... Yeah, Volume 2 is, is like 1960 to... Well, then I think it's 1960 to 87, because Volume 3 then would start just after Crisis, and the first 49 issues are Hal. Oh well, there you go. You've answered my next question, then, PJ. So yeah, of course, this is the thing that's wild to me. Like I, I always, I always really think of Kyle being, you know, the new Green Lantern, and I, I kind of we talked about it a bit in a previous previous uh, episode. But I kind of, it, it's odd to me that we treat Hal as being the old Green Lantern, of being this kind of like elder statesman, when in the context of this rebooted universe, he became Green Lantern after, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths. You know, like that was his, you know, he had his origin story after that. So, well, I think it's that weird thing. They did the same as they did with a lot of their titles where Crisis happened and then the rebooted series went sort of back before Crisis to retell the origins. So you get Superman, Man of Steel, although they don't renumber action comics or Adventures of Superman, I think it is. But then like you get the new Man of Steel title, which does retell the origin then from the new post-crisis perspective. And the same with Batman, like detective comics and things, they just kept going with the numbering, but that's when you get Batman Year One, retell the origin. 
mm. post crisis. But like Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, they all get rebooted and relaunched with new issue ones. Um, certainly, Wonder Woman and Green Lantern they retell the origins post crisis, mm. uh, but. It did happen before the crisis. It just it happened a slightly different way. Now I've got the trade actually. I think of the first six issues of Green Lantern that retells Hal's origin. Um, it's not bad. Um, honestly, there's some forgettable moments in there, but it's 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 quite good. The Wonder Woman one by George Perez is superb. But then I think the Flash doesn't do that. It just deals with Wally as the Flash now. And that's the the Flash series is where we had Morrison doing some stuff, Miller doing some stuff, Wade doing some stuff is that correct wade was like the long term wade doesn't start it um i can't remember who starts it wade joins the flash i can't remember issue 40 issue 50 something like that and then is on it for a good long while it's during wade's run that um morrison and miller come in and do some do some filling issues or, or some mini runs in the middle of it so um was ron mars writing green lantern at how long was he on this series then? Was he writing it under Hal before Kyle came I on board? I think Ron certainly did Hal's final storyline. I'm just checking. I'm, I'm calling up his bibliography now, actually. So DC Comics, Green Lantern... Uh, oh, he started with issue... 48, Volume 3, Issue 48. So, yeah, the downfall of Hal is where Ron Mars starts on the title. Wow. Yeah, so he's he's very much a Kyle man through and through. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, so, so yeah, so we're not going to be addressing the whole, uh, the whole paperback issue. We're not going to be doing the kind of backup stories. But you wanted to comment on, like, the kind of form those took, PJ? Yeah, so the this is the bonus story after the main story. It starts with the original cover to Green Lantern 1 from July it says from July slash August 1960 and it's just it's a great cover it's a, a, a like puppet clown underneath the Green Lantern logo firing a <laughs> ray gun at Hal flying past it featuring menace of the giant puppet and Hal thinking an unknown enemy manipulating a monstrous puppet to fire deadly ray blasts at me what and then underneath <laughs> that reprinted cover, I had no idea this was the first cover to for Silver Age Green Lantern, and I love it. But it's underneath it, it's a special bonus on the next page is we proudly present a new adventure of Hal Jordan's early career as Green Lantern. And it is a new story written by Ron Mars, but it is illustrated. The art is by Gil Kane, who drew the very first Hal Jordan story. Oh wow, which I think is is absolutely fantastic. And it's got uh it sort of starts with Hal sort of lying under some rubble. He's basically fighting some Quardian destroyers and they've got their yellow shields and yellow bolts and he can't do anything about it. And then his ring starts speaking to him and then it flashes back and reprints the origin story from Green Lantern 1 in 1960. So written by John Broom and illustrated by Gil Kane. Where Abin Sir, that's SOS Green Lantern, where Abin Sir gives Hal the ring. And yeah, and then it goes back into the new Ron Mars Gil Kane story of Hal taking down the Quardian destroyers. But I, I love the fact that they had Gil Kane come in and draw this for this final, what was thought to be the final Hal issue as well. 
And then right at the end of that, they reprint the cover to issue 51, which is Kyle's first issue. So Kyle blasting out of his logo. So it's just a nice sort of little, the end of Hal, let's do one more story, go back to the beginning, his first cover, and then Kyle's first cover to show that, you know, Hal is gone now. We are in the Kyle Rayner era. And how long until we hit Day of Judgment, do you think? That would have been... I want to say Day of Judgment was 99. That would make sense because that aligned, it was November 99 where we had the JLA tie in issue. Mm. Yeah, and that was at the end of Day of Judgment because that was like the epilogue issue. Well, here's the thing, PJ. If you've got, if your version has this kind of uh, tombstone y kind of foil cover, Mm. mine has an image of all the assembled heroes holding green flames in their hand. Oh. Okay. Do, does that is that reprinted anywhere in yours? Uh no, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, so mine is we've got um it's all in shades of green. Everyone's in mourning, but we've got Kyle at the front, you know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Black Canary just going back 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 into the distance and they're all holding uh, a green flame in the hangs. I think even Sentinel, aka the original Green Lantern, is there, um, and everyone's kind of looking down, but Kyle is looking up. It's quite a, it's quite a nice cover, actually. Oh, okay. No, I, I don't have that in mine. And that is um, that is a Daryl Banks uh, uh, original there. So um, I, I had a weird when I saw Daryl Banks um, uh, was the artist on this, um, and I'm, I'm doing Daryl an immense disservice here, so I have to apologise. Um, my brain, I had a weird brain connection where I thought it was uh, Derek Robertson. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Arxiscon, uh, Transmet and, and other things. And I, I just have this weird brain fart where I was like, wait, does, is that where he got his origins? Like in the same way that like um, a young Stuart Immonen drew uh, uh, Final Nights or how um, you'd, uh, you know, look back at like Age of Apocalypse and like... Um, Gambit in the Externals is drawn by uh, Carlos Pacheco or something like that. And I'm like, oh, is this, is this, was this a weird origin story? But no, it's Daryl Banks, who's who's very much known for drawing the Kyle Green Lantern run, I understand. Yeah, it was on it for, I think, most of the time Ron Mars was on it, to be honest. He drew, um, started with issue 50. Uh, I have gone to Daryl Banks' Wikipedia page here. I don't know this by heart, just to say. <laughs> You're very um, yeah, well informed, CJ. Starts with issue 50, so co-creates Kyle with Ron Mars, um, and he's on it till issue 142. So, wow. good long run. Designed the Parallax costume. Oh, um, wow. So, okay. yeah. Well, thank you, Daryl. Um, well, PJ, if we're going to dive into the issue, um, I mentioned it at the end of, of, of the last episode, but um, I'm assuming that your, collect, your version doesn't have uh, an error right at the start where they've reprinted the first page twice. No, it does not. No. So I have... I'm going to skip that, PJ. So I have page one. I have an inserted shot of the darkened sun from Final Night. And then I have page one again. So now I assume <laughs> the story is actually starting. Yeah. Yeah. With a car driving towards like a wasteland area. Uh, yeah. And uh, and who should get out of it? Bucks, um, uh, John Stewart. The uh, third Green Lantern, I want to say. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And wait, no, um, hang on, hang no, on. No, wait. No. Fourth. Was he fourth. before or after Guy? Fourth. He's after. 
Yes, he's after Guy, isn't he? He's a fourth, yeah. Again, once again, um, uh, things were very busy post-Infinite Crisis. They got a lot of lanterns in. Um, And uh, it's... At first, I thought it would be Carol Fenris, but no, it's Donna Troy. Yeah. So Donna and John were both Dark Stars, uh, which was like the replacement Green Lantern Corps in the DCU after... After Hal destroyed the Green Lanterns, and then the Dark Stars get taken down in a Kyle story that's happened before this by one of the many sons of Darkseid, the Adam Strange story that gets referenced in the JLA Adam Strange story. Right, right. Well, most of my knowledge of the Dark Stars comes from, oddly enough, the Grant Morrison run on Green Lantern, which mm. does a lot with the Dark Stars. And I have to say, I wasn't really familiar with them before, but um, there's some interesting stuff there. That Kyle story on Ran is my only encounter with the Dark Stars. I want to say that's actually issue 75 of Green Lantern, the final part of that story. Hmm. And that's where John was was crippled. Oh, yes, of course. And now uh, recently healed again in the pages of Final Night. Yeah. By how? Uh, so, yeah. So um, they are obviously uh, both dressed uh, in quite somber clothing. And uh, they also comment on the fact that they have um, they've had to rent a car to come. Yeah, yeah, because they're ex heroes. Neither seem to have powers anymore. I do like that Donna's wearing a green necklace. That's a nice touch. And obviously, um, Donna, Donna's story story is is always a little confusing to me. She's like a she was created as a as a sister to to a young Wonder Woman. Is that yes? And she has the same powers? She uh, uh, she had, and then I don't know the hows and whens, but she loses her powers. She becomes a dark star, and then the dark stars disband, and I guess she loses those powers too. And then I don't know if she gets... I think she gets her Wonder Girl powers back and becomes Troya or something, and then she dies, and then she comes back. And Yeah, I, it's... Donna Troy is one of those characters I find confusing because I've only really seen her on the periphery. I yeah. never, she was only ever supporting character in books I was reading. She, uh, was, quite she was quite a long-term supporting character in Greenland, and she was Kyle's girlfriend for a while. Oh, um, she's, right. She's quite key in the JLA Titans, the Technus Imperative miniseries, which we are going to get to at some point. Mm. Um, I and then yeah, I did read the Return of Donna Troy. Um, because that was supposed to be a big deal. I don't remember anything about it other than that was the book where DC debuted their at the time new logo. <laughs> so, oh wait, which particular logo was that? This was when they changed to this classic '90s logo that they'd had for decades to like DC with a swirly circle around it. The first time they changed the logo. Okay, and not to be confused with a slightly later one, which looks like it's like they're like it's peeling off the page. Yeah, no, not that the one before that because they've they've changed it so many times in the last twenty years now. I do, I do, I do, I do miss the kind of classic. Uh, I say classic, yeah. but like the nineties one, like the kind of the circle with the stars around it. That's very, yeah, um, that's same. very Marvel versus DC to me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, you know, obviously they're here for uh, a significant uh, event. They they mentioned that uh, Kyle was apparently gonna gonna meet us meet meet them there. Um, I should say that you know that they're, they're standing in, you know, effectively from this first page, just quite a quite a barren 
chunk of land. Yeah. Uh, but they say that Kyle came out early because he said he had something to do and a kind of a light shines from off panel. Yeah. And then we, we turn the page and it's a splash page of like a, a huge green cathedral with massive windows and, and the Hal Jordan Green Lantern logo quite prominent above the door. Uh, as a whole load of heroes arrive, you've got Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. and Steel flying in, Jean a little below them, the Flash running along. I can see Impulse, Superboy, Connor, uh, Green Arrow, Aquaman walking into the cathedral, Wonder Woman's there with some flowers, Captain Atom appears to be directing people, and then a lot of people in shadows. Oh, possibly possibly a Tachyon or possibly yeah. Wave Rider or something. I'm not. I'm not sure. Do you notice who isn't flying in, though? Superman. Because ah. he doesn't have his powers. Oh, PJ. Yeah, I'm glad I'm <laughs> glad you're paying attention. Um, uh, but yeah, and um, it's also, of course, nice to see that Captain Atom has been reduced to uh, just ushering people to their seats. Yeah, the one door in the cathedral, and he's like, uh, go in there. Like, yeah, we know Captain Atom. God. A, a natural-born uh, leader. But then we get the, the title and credits. So, Funeral for a Hero, Ron Mars, writer, Daryl Banks, pencils, Romeo Tangal, inks, Pamela Rambo, colour, Chris Eliopoulos, letters, Eddie Berganza, associate, and Kevin Dooley, funeral director. Um, so, yeah, so in case there was, like, any doubt as to what was happening, um, we're here, you know, we're, we're here for the funeral slash memorial service of, of Hal Jordan. And... Um, as John and Donna kind of, you know, kind of enter the crowd that, you know, they comment on, you know, it's like saying like, oh, my God, like, you know, wow, look what an assembly. And, you know, I, th I think how how would be honored. And as they enter the crowd, we 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 see everyone's favorite Pharaoh is here. <laughs> we didn't think we'd see him again. But there he is. I know. Standing next to uh, Saturn Girl and, and Aquaman and the Ray. <laughs> and I, I say what what's also kind of confusing is, uh, and I'm not going to go into it because no one really cares, is that according to the DC Encyclopedia, there were two pharaohs who are brothers. And there seemed to be some suggestion in the encyclopedia that the first pharaoh actually died in the mm. sun encounter. But I, I don't really know what was going on there, to be honest. Uh, yeah, he, Pharaoh doesn't get any lines here, which is a shame because, as we all know, he is the most important hero in the DC universe. But <laughs> we we do also get Firestorm flying over John and Donna, and then they basically both say, "Oh, there's someone I've got to go talk to." Yeah, there's someone I've got to go talk to as well, and then separate. Uh, and uh, John walks over to uh, Guy Gardner, not Guy Garvey, the lead singer of Elbow, and. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, Guy points out, he says, oh, um, you're walking. Like, that's quite impressive. And uh, John's like, yeah, well, you know, there's a story there. I won't go into it. And, um, and uh, yeah, Guy's on relatively good form for once. Uh, he's just like, uh, yeah, um, it looks like we, he's just, you know, he's just making nice small talk and just saying like, yeah, I guess we've got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. And on this page, we also have uh, Mr. Miracle and Booster Gold. And I, I'm just wondering if... <laughs> Ron said to Daryl, "Just draw who you want." Uh, and a small thing, PJ. But if you if you look very closely at Booster Gold, he's wearing his weird armor. Which, well, the the extreme justice armor, isn't it? The extreme justice armor, because I believe at the time he had lost um, the sources of his regular powers and was using armor to replicate them. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, aren't his regular powers 
like just his suit anyway. He's he's yeah. just an arm, armored guy, isn't he? So this is just a. I guess it's because his suit is from the future, so this is present day nineteen ninety six tech. So it's bulkier. I want to say it was made by Ted Cord for that him. Makes sense. I want to say, although don't don't hold me to that. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, Donna, by contrast, um, is off to say hello to Nightwing. Uh, I was so happy to see Nightwing. I always love it when Nightwing turns up. Uh, so um, you'll have to help me out here, PJ. I'm assuming their connection is because they were both in the Teen Titans. You know, yeah, as they Robin were the original Wonder Teen Girl. Titans with um, with Wally, uh, Roy Harper, and oh god, who was the fifth one? Robin, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash. Aqua Speedy, A- Aqualad, yes, yes. There <laughs> Who we go. later Thank became you. Tempest? Is that yes. correct? Yeah. So yeah. It, interestingly, uh, Donna compliments him on his new costume. Yeah. So he would have only recently, got, and this for me is <clears throat> is the quintessential Nightwing look: the black onesie with like the blue stripe running up the arms that m- moves to a point on his chest. Mm. But I guess he's only just come out of the the big collared blue and yellow number that he first got when he became Nightwing. We well, see that's weird, though, isn't it? Because yeah, we we think I think of you know this is the Nightwing costume, but yeah, again, we're in the period where this could have been this could have been quite new. This could have been quite radical. Well, certainly I know he was wearing, still wearing the original Nightwing costume during the events of Nightfall. Um, he's not in Nightfall a lot, but when he does turn up, he's he's wearing that original costume. And that was only a year or two before this. So, I also like um, his... It's not quite the Superman mullet, but I do like... That he's got that he's got that hair basically yeah. he's got the the slightly longer cut uh, and because I need a haircut my hair actually looks a little like that at the moment as well so <laughs> I can't judge. I want to see cosplay pics of you as nineties Nightwing now. <laughs> uh, that well well maybe for issue well, episode one hundred PJ you know. Yay! Uh, um, but yeah, so they're they're catching up like old friends, which is you know you know I'm at my happiest when superheroes are just kind of chatting and commenting on their long careers um but um you know dick's asking you know what's it like being a civilian effectively you know now that she's powerless yeah and she says she's not getting used to it she's just she also feels really out of place now in this crowd of heroes and then she says about the only one i don't see here is him and dick just says oh he's here somewhere batman's just not much for mixing um uh, Dick comments on the fact that um, it's a rather unconventional funeral because no one's wearing a suit or a tie. But um, he says, I guess um, this is as close to formal attire as our line of work gets to. And, um, uh, you know, and they're, they're saying like, and a nice touch because they're, they're concerned about Kyle and how he must be feeling. But uh, Nightwing says, you know, this must be an ordeal for Green Lantern. Which is nice. Yeah. You know, they're at the funeral of Green Lantern, but I think Dick at least gets it, you know. It's about passing the torch and Kyle in his eyes is Green Lantern, which is quite a nice a nice moment of recognition, I think. Yeah, and and you know, Donna says she hasn't had the chance to talk to him, but she knows it's been tough. And Kyle says, Well, I saw him on the steps, so uh, let's let's go over and see him. And um we've also had on this page Mary Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. talking to Superboy, and then Sentinel, Ice Maiden, and Supergirl all arriving as well. This is the Matrix version of Supergirl, the, not the... God, Supergirl's confusing. <laughs> but this would have been... You know, because we talked about how Morrison 
was quite keen to have Supergirl on the team at one point. So mm. that would have been Matrix Supergirl, would it not? Yes. Who I'm don't get me wrong, I'm I'm a big fan of Kara, but I also loved this nineties version of Supergirl because she was my Supergirl when I started reading DC comics. Mm. And I there's a lot of really good stuff done with her. I think the Peter David Supergirl comic that came out a couple of years after this is brilliant. So, yeah, I'm I'm a little sad that she's not around anymore, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, but, you know, as I say, I do love Kara as well, so. I do like when you get these, I say like, but it's it's like a slight morbid fascination. When you, when you get these characters who kind of got lost in the shuffle mm. because of a universal reboot or something, and, and then they're just kind of like around and no one really knows what to do with them it's like and the fact that like this is ostensibly matrix as well and everyone just kind of like doesn't mention that or talk about it and then Kara's going to turn up at some point and then also you've got power girl and like they've almost just made a point about the fact that like power girl's origin stories don't make any sense mm-hmm. but yeah it's i guess it's best not to it's best not to think about it <laughs> yep so we go back to the, the steps of the cathedral where Kyle is indeed there greeting people as they arrive. Katana and Guardian uh, are arriving. But Kyle's having a conversation with Starman. Yeah, this is um, this is Green Lantern 5 talking to Starman 38, I believe. <laughs> the Starman from the critically acclaimed 90s series, Jack Knight, is that right? Y- yes, yeah, Jack Knight. Uh, I have to say... Uh, I have never read a Starman book, but no. I know, but I know that this is the Starman that everyone talks about, and I also know it's super nineties. Like he's wearing goggles and regular clothes, and just has a scarf, and I, I kind of love it. I don't yeah. know whether the series is any good, but like this kicks all my boxes. Yeah, I also love that Jack and Kyle are talking about art. <laughs> and and Jack saying, yeah, oh, I've got all these things, um, which, you know, if you want to check it out, we've, um, Kyle says, oh, yeah, I love that stuff. And Jack's like, yeah, well, I, I can sell you some if you like. And Kyle's like, I'm going to come visit you. <laughs> and I love it. Just this, this, It's completely unnecessary, but it's it's a nice little character moment between them. Do you, to your knowledge, do they do they have a relationship? Are they I have established no idea. friends? Absolutely no idea if this was ever taken any further. Well, gosh darn it, PJ. Why, why are you even here? You're meant to know oh, everything. You're, all right, I'll go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, um, after that little interaction, um, Donna comes over, gives Kyle a hug. And I, and they are in a relationship at this point. Yes, they are. Yes. And as they hug, they, they just get like a little close-up of Nightwing being, I don't know, slightly slightly awkward on the edge of it all. And then, he's just um, trying to give the, give them a moment, isn't he? They did they have an established past the two of them as well? Did they date Nightwing and Donna? Uh, I don't know if they ever dated. I think they're just really good friends. Well, okay. Well, that's, well either way, Nightwing is is being very respectful and polite, and uh, incredibly, um, this might actually be their first meeting in person because Donna introduces them and they shake hands. Yeah, and, and Dick says, good to finally come face-to-face with you. Donna and I go way back, and Kyle says, yeah, she said, good to meet you too. And then Nightwing just leaves. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then um, 
And also, PJ, rather weirdly, I think you see the hand of um, Lobo uh, in the background. Uh, behind... Uh, oh, yep, yep, you do. Yep, behind Dick's head, top right corner of the panel. Also, look who's here in the left-hand side of the cat panel, I the sp- other breakout character of, of Grant Morrison's JLA. I spy that right away, PJ. Uh, it's uh, it's Nuclon, everyone's favourite. Oh, we've had Nuclon and Pharaoh in the same issue. Could this be the greatest comic of all time? Uh, it, it, may, it may well be. I mean, look, uh, Pharaoh, uh, sorry, Pharaoh, Nuclon's on his way to Destiny. He's like, guys, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, I want to come, I want to pay my respects, but I can't stick around because I, I've got to go up to the satellite and bring, uh, you know, begin my, my big career as part of the JLA. I'm very excited. I think it's going to go really well. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry, Nuclon. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, Kyle and Donna kind of make small talk, and uh, uh, Donna, you know, kind of compliments him on on the cathedral, which you know Kyle, you know, basically built using using you know the ring. Yeah, and and there's there's a moment where he sort of acknowledges how weird this all is because he says, "I'm just trying to do right by Hal." Donna asks him how he's doing, and he says, I feel like I've lost someone close to me, but I didn't really know how at all. I have this sense of loss, but I don't have any memories of him to hold on to. And he says, I, I need to, I'm supposed to make a speech, and I kind of wish I could just let John do it. Mm. Which is which is just a nice little observation. I, I don't really have much to add other than that's just, it's just a nice, nice character moment. Um, that's it, because Kyle has only met Hal three times. Two of those occasions, they fought. And then the other occasion was Hal saying, "Can you re?" Uh, was Carl saying, "Can you reignite the sun, please?" So, <laughs> yeah, if you wouldn't mind, yeah, yeah, it's kind of I don't know. It kind of shows Kyle's quite a decent fella, really. I mean, yeah. to to put all this on when I think he'd be pretty justified in in kind of hating Hal if he wanted yeah. to. But it's it's also an acknowledgement of the legacy of Green Lantern that Kyle knows what that means and that even he, he's the only one now, but it's got this history to it. And and it it, I think it adds to something we saw a lot in the Morrison run of the weight Kyle feels of that legacy and trying to live up to Hal Jordan, and mm. and a lot of you see in in Ron Mars's Green Lantern run as well, and well, yeah, it's really good. Well, it's, it's a nice reflection of the the meta element of it as well, where you know fans maybe not accepting Kyle initially. Um, yeah, I'd like to think they kind of yeah. I th- um, Oh gosh, as 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 stated in the Mark Miller issue of JLA, where Kyle says it's like it's like when they bring out a new James Bond. After you save the world a few times, everyone stops caring. So um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like to think Kyle started to win people over by now. Well, look, Kyle had a good ten-year run as Green Lantern before Rebirth hit, and then they did keep him around. Like Green Lantern Core was Kyle and Guy. While Green Lantern, the main book was Hal. Um, I think it's just they've then brought in so many Green Lanterns that he's gotten lost in the shuffle. And you know, as I say, I'm not reading Green Lantern. I haven't read it for a number of years. I don't know the status quo. I don't know which lanterns are in play and which ones aren't. And you know, every lantern is going to be someone's favourite, I'm sure. But it does make me sad that Kyle just kind of gets lost. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think going forward now because I I know they've introduced at least three more Green Lanterns post Kyle. Um, 
it, it certainly seems that like they've set a trajectory now where we are going to get more Green Lanterns. We're going to get this kind of expansion, but we're never really going to get, I feel, a supplanting of there being a core Green Lantern. Like I think we have this idea now that Hal is the the Green Lantern and will always return to being the Green Lantern, but he's just going mm. to keep building this uh, expanding cask of potential kidney donors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but at least yeah. we have this golden period, 90s to the mid-2000s, where Kyle is the Green Lantern. Yeah, where, I don't know, PJ, we, where it kind of felt possible to, to move on and change in comics. Yes. <laughs> That's it. That is one thing you can say about the 90s. They did try and change. They tried to put changes in. Some of them stuck, some of them didn't. I say some of them stuck, some of them were undone a lot later, but it was a period of change. Hmm. I think we're kind of we are now in. Well, I guess comics became a bit more self-aware. We are we are now in the perpetual now. I guess everything will always. It can't change too much because we, you know, we we need that that kind of status quo. Yeah. Um. Anyway, like, I don't I don't want to be too grumpy. Uh, look who's here, PJ. It's uh, it's for ver- it's, it's Vertigo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird moment, and I love it. You just get John Constantine. And Swamp Thing stood together, and Constantine says, so what are you doing here? And Swamp Thing says, well, I was invited. What about you? And Constantine says, just came to see the show. I will be I will be honest with you, PJ. I'm kind of amazed that Morpheus doesn't turn up. Well, maybe he's in the background somewhere. Oh, we don't know. I have to keep our eyes open, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It seems like one of those moments where like, we'll, we'll wheel the Vertigo cast out when something momentous happens. Yeah. Yeah, but this is sort of a few panels of, of mourners. So you then get like the civilians. So Tom and his family and Carol Ferris are there. And Tom's saying, I didn't realise it was the last time I'd see him. Did he tell you? And, and Carol's like, well, he, he didn't have to. And then you've get, got some former Green Lanterns. So they weren't part of the core when Hal destroyed it. <laughs> um, I can't name any of them. But presumably they don't have their rings at this point. No. No, no, they they wouldn't, would they? No, no. Is that that lady's not? It's not Boudica, is it? It might be. I can't. I, I'm not overly familiar with many of the Green Lanterns from Hal's era. I, you know, obviously I know a couple of them. Um, you know, Mogo, obviously, <laughs> Kilowog, obviously, they get some spotlight. And then I can tell you what some look like, the orange fin guy, and then the little dumpy round guy who has, like, extra arms or something. But <laughs> that's all I got. There's the squirrel. The squirrel. Yeah, oh, oh, can't remember yeah, the their squirrel, names. Dude. Well, PJ, uh, can you remember the names of the villains who have turned up to pay No, I don't know who any of these villains are. I don't know Hell's Rogue's Gallery, but other than like Hector Hammond and Sinestro. Sinestro, sorry. Um, but it's, it is... I like it, though, because it is a handful of villains' house for, and one saying he's really dead, and the other one saying it wasn't like this in the old days. These things didn't happen. Which is, yeah, it was more playful, I guess, back in the 60s. I do like... I, 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 I it's fascinatingly weird, but I love those weird kind of like... Because these characters, in principle, don't really, you know, age. Batman's always going to be kind of fighting crime, uh, always battling the Joker. But I do like when characters show a moment of almost like meta-awareness where they're like, we've been doing this for effectively decades in some universe. And like, 
Yeah, wow. The the narrative has changed around us. Like I used to rob banks. I think I think as Kyle said, you know, yeah, I used to you know, I used to fire freeze freeze rays at you and now they'll actually murder people you care about. So Yeah. At least the villains are like, Oh, it's not like the old days, you know. <laughs> we didn't no one actually died in those days. And I have to assume one of them is called like, I don't know, Sea Master or, you know, Sailor Boy. Sailor Boy, because yeah, he he's just dressed like a quintessential sailor. Yeah. Um maybe he had like exploding fish or something. I I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not sure who they are. I could check on the DC wiki, but yeah, we're not really gonna interact with them a lot more, so No. Yeah, no, let's then, let's not let's not worry about it. And then Donna and Kyle head inside and we get a double page spread of all the mourners sat in the aisles. Um, while Kyle and Donna walk up to a book on a lectern which has pictures of Hal in it. And so I was I was scanning these pages to see if I could maybe spot Morpheus. I don't think he's there, but I have spotted Lobo right at the back with his feet up drinking a can of beer. Uh, the Phantom Stranger seems to be stood off to one side as well. Um, oh, yes, of course, in the shadows. That's a nice touch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you can you can sort of just about make out like Black Lightning, Elongated Man, Big Barder, uh, Red Tornado, Red, Red Tornado. Yeah. Um, ooh, who's who's? Uh, There's New Clod and Pharaoh just behind Firestorm, and Blue Devil. Some, some of the Legion, uh, the Ray. Uh, oh, who could that be? Blue Blue Demon, Blue Devil, or... Blue Devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. And then you've got like the people who are actually coloured in, so they're the important heroes. <laughs> and this oh, is our first glimpse of Superman in the book, just sat in the second row next to Steel and Superboy. And Alpha Centurion, why is he so prominent? You'll be pleased to know, PG, that on the uh, on the uh, DC Wiki page uh, of this issue, the first person alphabetically listed in the in the appearing in is Alpha Centurion. Just sat between Superboy and Supergirl. What was going on with Alpha Centurion in in this this year? That <laughs> I I guess he was ostensibly part of the ostensibly part of the Superman Greater Universe because you've all the super people are kind of sharing an aisle, and then you've got the aisle behind is Jean, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman, who I guess are representing the League. And the then, original leaguers, yeah. And then you've got a row of Speedsters, and then a row of like kind of, I don't know, extreme justice slash D-listers sort of thing. It is a row of speedsters. So yeah, you've got Jesse Quick, Max Mercury, Impulse and Flash. And then Obsidian is also sat in that row. Oh yeah, so he is. Yeah. That's a uh, bit random. On the other side, is that Dusk next to Wildcat? Oh, good grief. It might be, PJ. She's back. <laughs> 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 She We're bringing out all the stars of Final Night. It's yeah, I do like how you've got Sentinel, and then he's sitting next to Jade, and then clearly didn't want to sit next to his son, so Obsidian's being shunted to the other side <laughs> of the uh, of the church. Yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, they're all mourning, and we shouldn't laugh. Fun times. Yeah. No. Sorry. No, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. No. Terribly serious moment. Um, <laughs> but as we turn the page, PJ, um, I'll tell you who doesn't need seats. Uh, it's the Bat Family. <laughs> yeah, they're up in the rafters, Batman, Robin, and Nightwing, and and Robin asks why they're up there and not sat with the rest of the mourners. Didn't he says didn't you, you knew this Green Lantern, right? And Batman is typically Batman about it. He's like, I thought I did, Robin. Then he turned into someone else. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Like I, I'm surprised there aren't 
more characters kind of sharing Batman's opinion, if that makes sense. Um, and it kind of paints Batman as a bit of a contrarian, but like he's raising some fair points, I think, here, even if he is, you know, being a bit absolutist about it. I actually really like this this bit of dialogue. He says, I find it difficult to accept his actions no matter what steps he took to redeem himself. We're here to honour his memory, and I will do so, but I doubt I'll ever be able to excuse what he did. And I think that's a perfect summing up of how Batman feels about Hal going forward. Yeah, it's a complex moment. It's not meant to be kind of simple to to rationalize but um but yeah um but you know thankfully kyle putting some i don't know rafters when he was uh designing this cathedral it's almost like he knew someone would need to brood on it yeah well he has met batman and robin at this point so <laughs> oh and also given the time frame pj urban legend yes yeah so batman doesn't officially exist at this point yeah, so, that's true. That's yeah, true. So you wouldn't you wouldn't give him a seat. Yeah, uh, there, there were, I think there were even some sort of D-list heroes who don't know Batman exists. So, which is wild but, in hindsight. Yeah, but... Kyle does. Kyle, there's a, a story arc around the issues 60s, 70s of Green Lantern called Hero Quest, where Kyle tries to go and visit other heroes to get pointers from them, and he has a a typically 90s Batman encounter with Batman, where Batman's like, "I'm not teaching you anything," and swings off, <laughs> and then Robin has to try and say, "It's okay. He's just like that." Uh, but Dead Man is here as well. <laughs> yeah. Just saying he hopes Hal finally finds some peace. And Batman seems to sort of almost sense that Dead Man's there, but doesn't see him. Yeah, because said Man... Oh, sorry, said Man. Dead Man should technically be invisible, silent, intangible sort of thing. But uh, if, I, if, if, if that's how his character works at this point in continuity. But yeah, but Batman, he's uh, he, he's got the senses, you know? He's got the super senses. Kind of. So, so, small interlude for me now because I, I did, I should have mentioned this earlier when we were talking about what else is in this issue, but I, I completely forgot to. The next page for me is like you remember in the nineties, Marvel would do bullpen bulletins. Well, it's the DC version. Watch this space. All the new news articles about things that are coming out this month, and they talk about ah, oh, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman show. That's out. Isn't that cool? They're getting married in it. So we're oh going to get them married too. And it's really interesting. This, These are the DC comics that were coming out the week after this. Animaniacs issue 20. Apparently they okay. had an Animaniacs. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I didn't really know how to respond to that. I know. And then uh, you've got Azrael issue 24, uh, Batman, Impulse, Green Arrow. Green Arrow 115. So that kept the original numbering as well when Connor took over. Lobo the Demon Halloween. <laughs> wow Night okay. Force issue 1 N- Night uh, Force? Yeah I don't even know who that is oh, um, I'm fascinated now New Gods Sovereign 7 issue 17 Supergirl S- issue 4 And then Superman the Wedding Album Sovereign 7 uh, the- Superman Wonder Woman Whom Gods Destroy issue 1 Tempest issue 2 And then the final thing coming out next week the Superman Doomsday bookends. Superman protects your books from the threat of Doomsday. Huh. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll tell you this, PJ, because I, I, I could only Google so quickly because there's so many fascinating things there. But Sovereign 7 is a creator-owned American comic book series created by Chris Claremont and Dwayne Turner. Oh! Oh! Do you know what? I read a... Th- 
There is a guy on Twitter. Um, I can't remember his his real name, but he is at Comrade Bulski. And every week he does a thread about weird stuff in comics. He did a whole thread about the Sovereign Seven a few months ago that I read, and it sounds insane. I these I kind of feel that like I've seen these these characters. I think maybe only in the pages of um uh maybe maybe only in the pages of the DC Encyclopedia, although I'm not mm. certain. I'm really not sure. Yeah, apparently the book was typically 90s Chris Claremont and therefore not that great. Mm. Fictional team history. The Sovereign Seven are a group of aliens from various planets exiled to Earth where they battle various villains. Most notably, Darkseid. Power Girl was briefly a member, but in classic Chris Claremont fashion, they were all brand new characters because he creates characters the same way. Other people create gas. Uh, For a time, the group operates out of a mysterious coffee house, the Crossroads Coffee Bar, which is larger on the inside than it is on the outside. Uh, Yeah. I don't think I'm going to track down Sovereign 7. (laughs) But I recommend trying to find the the thread from Comrade Bulski. It's it's really interesting. All of his threads are really interesting, to be fair. He's a good follow if you're still on Twitter. Despite the group's metafictional nature, they were seen fighting a, gr- a squadron of apocalypse soldiers during the Genesis event. I mean, who cares? No one cares about the Genesis. I read the Genesis event and I don't care. <laughs> CPJ, if you'd read it again, you I'm know. I'm not doing that. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to I'm going to leave that open because I'm I'm slightly fascinated by that. <laughs> uh, but PJ, yeah, so aside from the bullpen, um I guess after that we get to Superman, who is of course our our first um, speaker. I guess it would have to yeah. be. Yeah, really. yeah. So Su- Superman walks up to the the lectern, the podium, um, and he says, "This is the second time I've been asked to preside over something like this." I'm assuming the first one was for Barry. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming he didn't speak at his own funeral. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> So he says, it's never easy to bury one of our own. Uh, I knew Hal Jordan better than many, though not as well as some. Um, Hal was a lot of things to all of us, but he, he was a hero. There's no body to lay to rest, so all we can do is remember him. And those who are closest want to share some of their memories. And of course, it, it, the, the comic doesn't draw attention to it, but it's, uh, it, it is wild to think that Superman effect, is effectively powerless at this point. I, I feel like that's something that Superman was trying to keep under wraps while he figured out how to get his powers back. Uh, so he, Batman probably made arrangements for him to be here so without people realising how he got there or anything. But, oh, that's a nice touch, PJ. Yes, I like that idea. Yeah, yeah. But then he, he steps away and Guy Gardner walks up. And I love Guy's speech. It boils down to, a lot of you don't like me. Hal didn't really like me. I didn't really like Hal, but Hal was the best. <laughs> uh i don't know probably probably calls everyone a bunch of uh jabrowskis or something like that or uh i don't know uh lunkheads you know fr- throws around some good down homey uh kind of euphemisms and then it's probably like i'll see you all in the bar or something like that i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and then he finishes the things that matter are left unsaid so i'm saying them now Hal Jordan was the best Green Lantern. And that's all I got to say. <laughs> then he s- steps away and John Stewart walks up and says, good job, guy. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was also a pretty good Green Lantern, but I guess now isn't the time or place for that. So. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, then I guess I guess the order of the order of service is quite fitting here. You have, you, of course, you start with Superman, and then it only makes sense to work your way through, you know, some of you know the the previous Green Lanterns. And so yeah, John John Stewart takes takes a stand and uh, you know says that you know I am literally only standing here because of Hal Jordan. Um, you know, so read into that what you will. Um, but yeah, so he you know basically says that like you know he. He owes Hal a lot, you know. Hal talks him a lot, and um, yeah, and and as he's kind of talking, we we see kind of just you know some some people watching. You know, it seems like a fairly random selection of faces we're panning across. I don't think it has very. I don't think it's got massive significance that we see Wonder Woman, well, we see Wally. I think Wally and Sentinel make sense because obviously Wally knew Hal. Oh yeah, Wally was Kid Flash when the Flash Green Lantern team ups were happening in the Silver Age, so he would have been close to him. And obviously, Sentinel is the the first Green Lantern. But yeah, Wonder Woman and Impulse—I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so John touches on the fact that you know um, how lost his way towards the end. Um, you know, John John takes you know maybe a pragmatic approach you know he's he's kind of saying like it's not about buying po- you know when he reignited the sun it's not about undoing what he did it's not about buying points back it's just um but he thinks you know how was whatever his choices he was always being true to himself like he was he was trying to be a hero so that's how we should remember him and yeah. then he he uh passes the you know the stage over to um black canary yeah and she says I'm here because Oliver Queen is dead, but Green Lantern, Green Arrow was a best-selling title back in the day. So, <laughs> um, and I guess in in, in in something I still continually find very weird, she was a founding member of the League with mm-hmm. with Hal, which is an, a, an unusual twist of history. But yeah, she isn't anymore, but she was back then. <laughs> she was at the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she says, you know, comics on the fact that, um, you know, Ollie's dead as well. So, you know, maybe they're together again, you know, and having fun adventures wherever they are. I don't know. Yeah, ha- having a good laugh over this whole ceremony. Uh, and then Wally takes a stand, who's kind of, as you, as you said, PJ, got the kind of almost like the family aspect to it. You know, it was like, um, you know, you know, uncle, his uncle Barry was a major part of his life and, and how was you know his friend almost like a kind of you know like when you're growing up and your your family would have kind of like oh i don't know you'd have like an uncle who wasn't really an uncle sort of thing just like a friend of the family sort of thing yeah yeah and i like his his bit at the end as well this sounds ironic coming from someone who can stretch seconds into hours but time does heal all wounds and yeah it's it's a nice speech from wally he he does a good job and of course you know there's the small acknowledgement as well that Wally's identity is public as just in front of all these people he talks about his uncle Barry. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, which again it's little things that until you pointed out to me PJ I I just never really picked up on. Um hmm. It's it's interesting in a way that this isn't a public event. You know, I guess you could have also you could have always had like uh camera crews in the background or something like that, but it does feel vaguely private even though it's yeah. you know, but superior community and family members and stuff and um but yeah then uh carol carol takes a stand and um obviously you know she was kind of um 
arguably the closest to hell. Mm. You know, they yeah, were in love. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, but, you know, she talks about it from, from the perspective of, you know, yeah, we were in love and it didn't, it didn't work out. You know, uh, he kind of, you know, failed in many ways. So, so yeah, it's a sadness of knowing, of not just losing a person, but also the fact that they'd lost their relationship, I suppose, a long time ago. So, yeah. So yeah, that's that's a nice nice little moment as well. I think e- even if it just plays out over two panels. Yeah, and then I don't know if Kyle and Carol have ever really met before, but Kyle takes the podium as Carol walks away, and he just says to her, "I'm sorry for your loss," which is nice. He he acknowledges that what she's lost here, and and then he says, "You know, I haven't prepared anything, so I'm just going to speak from the heart," and and acknowledges to everyone. You probably don't know why a lot. You probably don't know why I'm the one up here speaking, and, and I don't really know either. But <laughs> I'm Green Lantern, and I'm doing my best to carry on Hal's legacy. I can't replace him, and there will never be another like him. But I'm going to do what I can. And you know, a, ni- a nice thing where he says, you know, look, you know, I'm. We can't escape the fact that I am now the one who wearing the ring, and and a nice thing here where he says, you know. It was an important thing to me at first, and now it's even more important, which I think is quite like a nice thing because, you know, he he understood the weight of responsibility that had been kind of given to him, but now he knows kind of like the weight of what it meant to all these people, or what it and and Hal's legacy. So I think that's quite a nice observation, you know, kind of saying like, look, a lot of you don't even know me, but like I was already trying to do the right thing, and and now I'm. I'm going at it even harder. So, yeah, I think he comes across very well. Yeah, and he says, you know, I, I didn't know Hal as a friend like a lot of you did, and I wish I, I had done. I wish I could know more about Hal, but even knowing what I know, I'm proud to carry on the name of Green Lantern. And then he talks about the final night and how Hal died reigniting the sun and that thanks to Hal they can celebrate a new dawn as he lifts his arm, fires a green burst at the ceiling... And the ceiling of the cathedral just sort of melts away to reveal the sun and the whole place is bathed in golden light. I think um which is which is a very, you know, very nice touch as well. And I I think um again, I I'm not gonna I don't think I'm ever gonna have the warm feelings about Howl that yeah. others do. Because I, I was you know, I, I never really I wasn't there. Kyle 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 is my lantern. So, you know, Kyle says some really nice things here but again he also kind of puts Hal on this pedestal as being like the ultimate hero and which is you know it's fair it's certainly a very appropriate thing to to say given the circumstances and I I think if if we're if we then go into the the Morrison run on JLA it's nice to see Kyle not lose that respect but but kind of gain a a, a, I don't know a degree of his own confidence beyond that over the course mm. of the series. So yeah. yeah, this is Kyle maybe closing the door on one chapter of his life, but like by the end of JLA, he really seems to have found a direction of his own, which uh, which I, I I I've I've always enjoyed seeing seeing that happen. Yeah, no, exactly same. And I also like that in the sunlight we have the Vertigo row again as we get Constantine and Swamp Thing sat next to each other. <laughs> maybe um, I don't know. Maybe Swamp Thing was getting a bit kind of like dehydrated you know he needed, he needed some sun <laughs> or something <laughs> and some crackers yeah and then the the cathedral fades away completely i hope no one was still sat down when kyle removed the pews <laughs> uh, but, um 
they're now just sort of stood in the barren wasteland that was Coast City. And Kyle says, Alan Scott was Green Lantern before Hal and I were even born. And he wanted to say something. Uh, yeah, again, the the weird little oddity that is Alan Scott, who, you know, never an official Green Lantern, not recognised by Oa, so to speak. Mm. Um, but yeah, and of course, in this period where he's been, you know, he's been made young again. Um and uh, yeah, he says, look, uh, you know, I, I want to give some perspective on on loss. You know, I might not m- look much older than my daughter, but I've been around a very long time. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and he, he, you know, references the, um, you know, the, the kind of memorial torch, which which is really like the, the only physical landmark we have at the moment, given that like Kyle's cathedral was entirely a ring construct. Yeah, it's it's just offshore. It's this massive tower with a, a big torch on the base of it that that to remember Coast City. And as uh, he he flies out, and he lends his his green flame to the actual kind of flame that burns there, and uh, and obviously you know I'm not doing a very good job of describing it, but it turns it turns green. Like uh, so now there is a massive green torch bl- uh, blazing offshore, as he says. Um, now Hal and the city that meant so much to him can be united forevermore. Yeah, and then he returns to the shore, and as he lands, Superman turns to Swamp Thing and says, okay, we're ready. And Swamp Thing says, where there was desolation, let there be green. And just a garden springs to life around the heroes. Superboy says it's cool. We see the Atom in his lovely 90s costume, just <laughs> stood there as grass grows around him. And yeah, now there's this massive garden with the Green Lantern symbol, moan into the grass. Well, I guess not moan, PJ. I, I'm well, sure. Uh, I'm sure uh, Swamp Thing wouldn't be down with that. All right, topiary. It's topiary. To- to- topiaried, yeah. Um, and I've got to say, like, kudos to Ron Mars. That's one of those kind of brilliant and daft ideas of going like, what? What else is green? What else is green in the DC universe? It's like <laughs> Swamp Thing. So. This is this is a lovely little a lovely little moment actually, and uh, we get a, a massive, as you said, this massive double page spread where all the heroes are are kind of assembled and looking on. Yeah, a lot of them flying around. Superman stood firmly on the ground. Oh, and PJ, who's that? Honestly, scratching the back of his head like he doesn't know what a garden is. It's Nuclon, <laughs> standing next to Metamorpho, and I think Ice Maiden. Yep, yeah, uh, that is the current JLA. The current JLA is told. Nuklong is honestly staring at a hedge and scratching his head like he doesn't know what day of the week it is. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm sure he's going to have a long and successful career in the league and nothing bad will possibly happen. <laughs> yep, and Superman gives another little speech about this where Coast, Coast, study, uh, Coast City once stood. <laughs> Coast City <laughs> once all, <laughs> There will now always be an Eden, uh, basically a memorial garden to Coast City and Green Lantern. And then he turns to Kyle and says, Green Lantern. And Kyle uses his ring to create a statue of Hal Jordan in stood above the Topiarid symbol. And uh, yeah, that's our last page. It's just this, this splash page of the statue as Batman stands in front of it in the sunlight, not hiding now, and says, maybe I'll never understand what happened to Hal, but I can at least find it in my heart to forgive him. Rest in peace, Hal Jordan. No, you can't, Batman. That's a lie. That took me out of the issue a bit because <laughs> that contradicts what he said earlier and everything that he will ever do afterwards. 
I guess they had to wrap it up somehow. But yeah, I'm the yeah. same. Like I, I, I don't really see Batman kind of changing. But I guess maybe it probably would have shattered the illusion if um, editorial had kind of like scrubbed out the text and just written like, "No, fuck you, Hal." <laughs> <laughs> I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah well they could have just given a line to someone else but anyway that is the end you, you've got some heroes around it captain atom is saluting the statue because he's military wally looks like he's crying and yeah kyle and donna are holding each other and it's 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 the end that's it how jordan mm-hmm. is gone and now we've had his funeral the end and uh and yeah and that is certainly where my certainly where my kind of uh version of the issue just stops i suppose and um obviously if you if you were in pj's shoes right now you could you could keep reading and get some kind of like backstories uh, does it supplement it pj with any like oh i don't know um like fact files or, or no. stuff like that or pinups no or... no just goes the next the page over is the original cover to green lantern one from 1960 and it goes straight into the story well, I'll tell you what, PJ, if uh, you had continued collecting the Green Lantern series, because I'm on the DC wiki-, wiki now, and I swear I'm not just going to read the whole damn thing. That's not going to be the <laughs> re- end of the episode. But apparently uh, the following issue sees Kyle, Guy, John and Alan get together at Warriors because Guile has... Uh, sorry, Guile. Guy <laughs> unveils a statue of Hal Jordan and Guile from Street Fighters there. Oh, and that's they, nice. They spend the night telling stories about Hal and then part ways. And then um and then Kyle or walking home gets into an adventure, basically. So that's the follow-up. Oh, nice. Nice. I, I I'd like to go back and revisit all of Ron Miles' run on Green Lantern, I think. I've got a couple of trades, but I think I'd like to I'd like to read the whole thing. I've got to say, like as somebody who has, and we've talked about this before, I, uh, yeah, you, you're the connoisseur of Ron Mars, PJ, of the two of us. Like you, you know his work much, much, mm. much better than I do. And yet, in a cruel twist of fate, I have met Ron Mars uh, at a convention. <laughs> uh, you missed him because of because of issues with uh, scheduling and stuff. Yeah, and and I was an idiot because if I'd known what I know now, I would have probably tried to talk his ear off about Kyle, but. Having read some of it, some of his his work now over the course of this series, I'm I'm very impressed. Like honestly, like mm. it's a good good issue. He knows what he's doing with a story. Yeah, I really like. So I've got a um, I think three trades of various parts of his Green Lantern series. I've got Kyle's origin, um, which includes Kyle's first meeting with Superman. It does include the legendary fridge moment, which has become a term which I don't think people even know what it refers back to in the first place. Mm. Um, that is part of it, yeah, and that does leave a bad taste. But the rest of that origin story I like. Uh, and then I've got the trade, which includes the Hero Quest story where he goes to other superheroes for advice and then has the battle on Ran against the son of Darkseid with Dark Stars. And then I've got the trade that was around issue 100, the Emer- I think it's Emerald Knights, where... Hal is transported from the past like from his early days as Green Lantern to then the then present day and you've got Kyle and Hal teaming up for a few issues mm, yes you've, you've referenced that one before uh, and yeah, no, th- it, yeah it, very good I really like that one I've got to say yeah it's, 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 it's very 
it's quite impressive because I, I think we've, you know, we, we've touched on some non-Morrison content that, you know, has maybe falling a little flat before, for, for me at least. Um, mm. But it, it's nice to discover uh, a contemporary of Morrison, someone who was working in this space, in this universe at this time, who was doing very interesting things. I think Ron Mars has, you know, kind of demonstrated on multiple occasions now that he, he can really get inside a character's head. I think the, the different um, emotional responses, uh, the different, you know, di- so many different ways of saying, uh, of offering memorial to Hal, uh, it's very impressive. I think he really just, I think it's just a good, good issue. He does a very good job. And I enjoyed um, the Parallax tie-in as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, same. I think it is really good. And I think Kyle got lucky with uh, with his writers for a while because when Ron Mars did eventually leave leave the book, Judd Winnick joins it as the writer and is also does a really good job. Like, I've got Winnick's first few issues on Green Lantern as a trade, which uh, guest stars the JLA as well. Uh, and and it's really really good. There is a moment in it. Basically, the first villain Kyle fights is I can't remember his name, but the guy who steals Sinestro's ring and starts oh, using gosh. it. No, I've no idea. And there's a moment when I think he did then turn up in the Sinestro Corps War. Uh, there is a moment where he's attacking New York, and this is in I want to say early two thousand and one, and he tries to take down the World Trade Center and is only stopped by Superman holding the building up. Oh, God. Yeah, same year. And I didn't read it until, obviously, after September. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that hits now. Oh, wow. That's how unfortunate. I mean... Yeah. God, yeah. That's unlucky. Yeah. Um, uh, I, PJ, I, I, I want to say, because I'm sure there's somebody out there who's um, screaming uh, at the mic. Uh, of the three villains we saw in this issue paying their mm-hmm. respects one of them was major disaster oh really and one of them was the tattooed man and i would suggest that the one who looked like a sailor was the tattooed man oh okay my guess then would be the one that had like epaulets on his shoulder was supposed to be major disaster but is that the same major disaster who then joins the league that's the really weird thing i i don't know i mean major Disaster's look has gone through quite a few changes. I like the early version of of that character is almost unrecognizable to the later one. But, yeah, because um, he looks quite. If it is the same character, he looks very different to how he does on the. Unless it's the guy behind them in the trench coat. It might be the guy behind him. I don't know. It's weird. As we said, we did. I didn't even really know that Major Disaster counted as a as a Green Lantern villain. But that. But there we go. I think I was vaguely aware. Uh... Ah, uh, yeah, no, the tattooed man, I've, I've got him up here, it says, occupation, professional criminal, former sailor. Ah, uh, okay. okay. So there you go, there you go, there you so go. So who's the third villain? Well, whoever wrote the wiki page here was more more interested in um, making sure Alpha Centurion got got... <laughs> <laughs> got got a look in than uh, than listing all the antagonists. So so boo oh, to that yeah. person. Oh dear, I'm just looking through other characters now. I've got I've called the wiki up as well to see if oh Linda Park is among the mourners apparently. Uh, do any of these Salak? That's going to be a Green Lantern. 
They do list Oliver Queen and Barry Allen mentioned only. Come on, tell us who the third villain is. <laughs> no, I think we're just going to have to... We're going to have to live in a state of uncertainty, PJ. It's, it's the only way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> well, on that note, PJ, is, is there anything left to say, do you think? No, I think, yeah, you're right. It's a really good issue. Uh, I love it a lot. And it really makes me want to both visit for the first time and then revisit the ones I've already read, all of Ron Mars's run on Green Lantern. Well, speaking of um, making you want to revisit things, this is this is me shoehorning a segue in here, PJ. Ooh. Uh, I, I think this successfully draws to an end our final our final night adventure, basically. Yes, so- our f- our first diversion is done. Our first look at the wider DC universe in the era of Morrison. And I I've enjoyed it, PJ. I mean, I I, you know, some some elements of Final Night didn't uh, you know, didn't didn't massively rock my world. However, I'm very glad we visited it because it was a big gap in my knowledge and also I think quite has proven quite pertinent to the series because Kyle is a, a big part of of JLA's emotional heart, and now we get mm. to have, get to see this major chapter in his life. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it, I I have enjoyed revisiting it. Obviously, it doesn't. A lot of the the main series doesn't hold up, but there's good bits in every issue. The final issue I really like, where mm. Hal does sacrifice his life, and the how the two Ron Mars issues, the Parallax one shot and Green Lantern eighty one, yeah, superb. We're slowly. Um... You know, there is a theoretical end state to this podcast. Like, I, I don't know if we'll ever reach it, but we're, we're slowly filling in all the gaps around 1996 so, and 1997. So it's entirely possible that we might at some point have read every issue that came out around this time. I think we've got a, a long way to go. We've got other <laughs> events to look at that inform Morrison's run one way or another, whether they were concurrent or... Like, I think at some point we should go back and look at both the complete Death of Superman run mm. uh, and also all the major Batman events of the 90s because they all tie in here and there in, in various different ways, especially when you get to No Man's Land. But I think if we're going to look at No Man's Land, we need to look at... Nightfall, Contagion, Legacy, and Cataclysm first. No, and that that would be that would be fascinating for me. And 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 it's funny how like the more we dive into this stuff, the more kind of yeah, it's like a treasure trove. More stuff kind of reveals itself. Like mm. we've we've talked about um, Underworld Unleashed, yes, which of course we has check a, that out. has a connection to um, oh, what was it called, PJ? I always forget the name of the actual story. Uh, Heaven on Earth, sorry, you know, where we get the greatest electric blue Superman moment ever, so near on. uh, And the second greatest electric blue Superman moment ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Good God, that's a good story. And, you know, (laughs) and you don't look at that again. uh, Yeah. And you you don't get that if you don't have. uh, if you don't have, sorry, uh, use your words, John. Uh, sorry, yeah, if you don't have Mark Wade and Howard Porter doing mm. Underworld Unleashed, which, of course, is a, a prototype version of their work on JLA together. Uh, but but what are we going to do next, PJ? Oh, well, uh, next we, we've decided we should, we should dip back into the Morrison well, uh, but jump forward in time a bit next. Uh, I believe it's only two issues. Um, we discussed looking at Final Crisis and then dismissed that because... There are people who like it, but we are not those people, I'm afraid. I do apologise, but I cannot do Final Crisis. But John informs me there is a small gem within the middle of Final Crisis that I have never read. Yes. So we're going to do that. 
Yeah, so uh, we are going to do Superman Beyond, which is a two-parter. It appears in the middle of the Final Crisis trade paperback. Uh, as, said, as PJ said, we're not going to be doing all of Final Crisis. So if you own if you own it, great. Just zoom in on the middle. Uh, if you don't, um, then you should be able to track down those original issues on, uh, on Comixology. Um, uh, please... Don't be confused. Don't don't confuse Superman Beyond with Superman Beyond, yeah. which is a different series, a, a limited series uh, based uh, a spin-off from Batman Beyond or Batman of the Future, the cartoon. Yes, yes. I'm I'm going to be doing comicsology for this. I'm not buying the Final Crisis trade just for those two issues, <laughs> <laughs> purely out of spite from PJ. Um, um, look, it's no Genesis, but. It's not great. <laughs> and also, it's, it's, to be honest, I think we could probably make a, I don't know, we could make a, a rational reason for not doing Final Crisis in that while it is Morrison doing doing JLA, um, I think enough water had passed under the bridge at that point where it was a very yeah. different DC universe. It was a very different Morrison. They'd gone on and done so many other things. So... You don't quite get that kind of sense of continuity that Morrison is just picking up these old yeah. characters where they left and, off. Like, and we do have other Morrison to look at. We've got the the JLA uh, classified three-parter with the Ultramarine Corps. That's going to be coming up. Which I'm I feel very like much at looking some forward point, to. I feel like at some point we should do All-Star Superman as well. Because a lot of what Morrison did in JLA does tie into that. We uh, we uh, yes no you're right because that is the weird sequel kind of not to DC One Million mm-hmm. uh, and if we and and this is where we're getting into weird meta Morrison stuff where for some reason Morrison is the only creator alive who is allowed to maintain their own personal continuity between DC titles that seems to continue regardless of how many times the reboot button is hit so. Uh, we're going to be doing Superman Beyond because that's got a thematic connection to Earth 2. Mm-hmm. And if you care, uh, and maybe this will open doors down the line, it opens doors for Multiversity and it also opens doors for Morrison's run on Green Lantern. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about Superman Beyond. This is, this is a fun a fun story, which I, I, I regard highly. So I look forward to getting PJ's thoughts on it. Yeah, I'd better go and download those issues from Comixology. <laughs> uh, and we've also got some other gems in the wings, so we'll we'll be um, we will, we will hopefully not keep you in suspense as we we we've always got something lined up. And uh, but yeah, so we're Mo- uh, Morrison of the future for now. Well, no, sorry, Morrison of like when was Final Crisis? Kind of two thousand and six. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Okay, so we're jumping. We we're, we're jumping a decade into the future now. For another Morrison uh, Superman adventure, Bucks will be bouncing back and forth as the mood takes. Yeah, I think we already know what we're looking at. The next two things we're looking at after Superman Beyond, and they were both books that were released concurrently with Morrison's JLA. Uh, So while Morrison wasn't writing them, they were at the same time. And I'll, I'll tell you now, they both have JLA in the title. It's very exciting. (laughs) <laughs> well, PJ. On that note, uh, if we, we we if we've exhausted everything, Final Night and Green Lantern related, um, is there anything you'd for, like now. To shout? for now? For now, for <laughs> now, put a put a pin in that. Uh, is there anything you'd like to shout about? Uh, no, I'm not going to do any shouting this week. You know, you 
You know where I am on social media, folks. You can find all my stuff there. Yeah, I'm the same. I've got nothing to add. Um, so all I will say is um, a massive thank you, as ever, to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune, Justice. And PJ, uh, as we as we draw the curtain on one adventure and uh, prepare to embark on another, could you please see us off in your own unique fashion? Next episode, I insist you call me PJ Beyond. PJ Beyond.